You're listening to Around Comics, episode 191. This is Around Comics, the comic culture podcast, where each week our revolving panel of guests talk about everything in and around the world of comic books and comics culture. And Around Comics is recorded at Dark Tower Comics and Collectibles, located at 4835 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. If you're in the area, please drop by. And this episode is sponsored by InStockTrades.com, where waiting for the trade has never been easier. InStockTrades.com offers a huge selection of the collected editions you need. And right now, InStockTrades.com is offering our book of the month, The Starman Omnibus Volume 1, for an amazing 37% off the cover price. At last, the hit series created by James Robinson and Tony Harris is collected in a series of six spectacular hardcover editions. This inaugural volume features a new cover by Harris and collect Starman issues 0 through 16. Best zero issue ever. Well, you know what? We finally get to talk about that because this is our Book of the Month episode covering uh, Starman Omnibus Volume 1. And, and like I said, if you're playing at home uh, with the uh, playing along at home with the uh, single issues. It <laughs> the is, home version <laughs> the of home. the <laughs> it is It is issues 0 through 16. Uh, I'm Christopher Neesman. Let me introduce you to this uh, star-studded DC extravaganza panel that we have. Um, Experts. It is. It is uh, podcast luminaries here. People with lots of free time all around. <laughs> and uh, and the uh, the king of uh, lots of free time is uh, around comics uh, regular and resident DC expert. He's also the host of Tom versus the JLA. He is Mr. Tom Caters. Hey, thank you. Hello. Hello. How are you? All right. We I feel new... like I'm looking at my grandfather with a head mic on his glasses, <laughs> and he's just like, "We've got a we've got a new recording yeah, setup, new mics, so, baby." So, yeah, everybody's uh, got the Madonna setup today with the headsets and microphones. It's very uh, uh, disorienting. You refer to it as Tom-proof because I can't, like, forget that I'm talking, like, and back away or start leaning back. You can, like, get up and walk around now. Yeah, I can, yeah. Smoking. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of of Matt, uh, next we have one of our longtime forum posters who has actually just joined the ranks of podcasters. He uh, has a Starman-specific podcast called The Shades Journal, so we figured he'd be a good guy to have on a, a Starman-specific episode. He's Mr. Matt Kramer. Hello. Thanks. It's great to have you, man. You're probably rolling in all that podcast money at this point. <laughs> oh, right? yes. The yeah. lucrative podcasting yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, Addition to the house go well? <laughs> yes, yes. House. He lives in a, a dirigible now. <laughs> we now have 17 He doesn't need to stay in one place. <laughs> And if you are a DC fan and a listener of podcasts, chances are you are subscribed to Raging Bullets. And we are uh, overjoyed to have uh, Mr. Sean Whelan from Raging Bullets here tonight. Thank you, Chris, for having me. That's great. That's it's good. good to have you. you. I think the last time we saw each other was <laughs> New York. Yeah, was that, absolutely. Okay, yeah. and this is... Uh, um, Did you see Chris throw up on the street? <laughs> I think you missed that no, one. <laughs> 
This is uh. We actually got more traffic too. So. Yeah, yeah. Look, Neesman's throwing up. Let's go over there. Oh, maybe we shouldn't. Start vomiting. Uh, this is uh three years in a row, and and Jim is here uh as well. He's he's kind of off, off to the side of the table, just kind of um looking at we'll us. We'll let him. <laughs> <laughs> we can't. slapped him already. Yeah, it's not the case on no. your show. You know, we, we, we put the disclaimer out there whenever you guys came in that this is not going to be a four-hour show. No. I have no pick, notes. Jim picked, up a, uh, Jim picked up a Marvel book and Sean slapped it out of his hand <laughs> and said, no, no, you have a lot of reading to do, son. <laughs> This is the third or fourth year in a row that you've come into Chicago for my, uh, my Wizard fourth. World Chicago. Yeah. Okay. It's the third year, third year that I've known you. Yeah, um, yeah. David Price and I came in together three years ago. Oh, and wow. And that was when we met you, and we had a wonderful day. Mm-hmm. Going I think I puked on the sidewalk that show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sense it. There's a sadness to your convention stories. <laughs> that's that always. There's that's a specter of alcoholism that hangs over you. Well, I tell you what, what's uh, what's get to uh get to today's subject and that is the uh, Starman Omnibus and uh it is a, a beautifully collected hardcover edition and that's uh it's kind of where I wanted to start before we actually talk about what's in the book and oh by the way it's common sense but probably bears uh um stating that uh, if you haven't read the omnibus uh you may want to come back after you have cuz we're going to talk we're going to spoil it we're going to spoil Bad. the crap out of it um <laughs> You guys, as longtime DC fans, and all three of you as fans of, of Starman, and me never having read it, it's one of those that uh, that a lot of fans of the book were always recommending. It was, you have to read Starman. You really need to check this out. And it was it was really difficult to either find all the single issues, and in the trades, you could get the first two trades, but the third trade has been out of print for quite a while. So when they announced this omnibus that uh, and the series of, would it be omnibi? Is that the, the plural? Yeah. That is going to collect the entire series. What was your feeling or reaction whenever they announced that that series of of collections i thought it was good news for the people who hadn't read it and wanted to because yeah like you said it was notorious about not having everything everything collected and stuff was out of print key issues weren't even included in the trades none of the shades journals had been collected none of the showcase presents or showcase 95 and 96 issues had been collected showcase. <laughs> Tom looks on nostalgically. I, I was pissed because uh, I knew I wouldn't be able to sell my vol- volume three trade for as much money. Speculating. How about you? How about you, uh, Sean? You know, for me, it was very similar to what Matt was saying. It was my hope was that everything would, in fact, be included, especially the Shades Journal, because the joy of the Shades Journals, which will be coming in later volumes of this, is that it makes you feel like you're Jack. You know, which Jack's the everyman. And that's part of the joy of reading this book is we can all on some level to relate to Jack's journey because we've all been at that point where we're unsure of ourselves and unsure of that next stage in life. So um, when this was going to be collected, I'm like, everybody's got to get all of it. You know, everything that went along with the whole experience of following Jack, which led to JSA and and bigger stories. Yeah, you're going to get a lot. I think as people read this, though, you're going to get a lot of... uh... It, the thing that always drives me insane, you know, when people talk about Watchmen and they're like, I skipped the pirate parts. 
and the text pieces, and I always, I always scream. <laughs> I say, it's just as you didn't read the whole book then, you know. So uh, it's funny because when uh, I remember that when I first started reading it, I, I think I skipped like the first couple of shades journals just because I was like, eh, well, whatever. They're just like text pieces in the back. It's all supplemental. Well, whatever. I'm too cool for that. And then I finally figured out that they're actually important to the story. So it's going to be interesting to see people's reaction to sort of a very non-linear non-traditional way of introducing story concepts into something. I mean, that's not it's not the way most comic books will introduce things, is that backwards sort of way of hinting at something and then paying it off later, but hinting at it in a text piece that eventually starts to tie together. Sure, we'll, I, we'll, this, we'll get into that. This book, I, like a lot of other people in the 90s, who kind of, kind of bailed out and... Uh, you know, 90, 92, 93, whatever, and and it seemed like you know on the you know the upper crust of what was coming out comic wise, it was um, you know a lot of stuff that drove people out of out of the hobby. I think Starman, and you look at uh, at other stuff like Sandman, and and a lot of the stuff that was going on in in independent comics. That's really where kind of the next wave of of really inventive and and quality comics were. And and Starman, what the started in ninety four. That, uh, yes, exactly. Right around before. zero hour. Oh, there you go. <laughs> zero issue, baby. October so, 94. So I think that, that people that, that refer to the 90s and that, and that broad sweeping, it was, a, it was a bad decade for comics. This is, I think, a really good example of some of the good stuff that was going on. And it's maybe because it was uh, Robinson's ability to, to grab onto legacy characters and, and really mine DC's history and kind of reinvent it and... Uh, I don't know if anybody, and you guys obviously know more than me, had anyone before Robinson really mined DC's legacy and history like he had? Uh, I don't know. What the, I'll, I'll go first here. I think one of the, the strengths of what Robinson did was I always got the feeling that after Crisis on Infinite Earths that DC was weirdly embarrassed by the Justice Society and Golden Age concepts and, like, wanted to shuffle. I mean, they made the Justice Society disappear. I mean, they put them in limbo, literally. They, like, made them be like, ah, there you go, and so long. And whenever you'd see any of those concepts come back around, like Dr. Fate or any of it, it was always... Like, uh, you know, there was the doctor, there was the fate who was the guy who had, like, a sword. You know, it was just the, in name. Those old Golden Age characters weren't edgy enough for, for that. Yeah, it, it, I think they had a weird, I don't know if it was embarrassed, but an infatuate. Uh, it was a perceived weakness that was actually a strength. Um, because I think a lot of times you see people get freaked out about history to characters. Like, oh, you need to know everything about every character, and you can't have any, everything has to be in on the ground floor. And I think... They, they sort of perceive that as a weakness when really it was something that could be a strength, like that was used in this book. So. When did uh, when did Robinson do the Golden Age? Ninety three. Okay, so I it was believe. a precursor to this. Oh yes. yes. You know, and, and I would suggest anyone that that's reading the the omnibus and, and enjoys Starman. I was reading the Golden Age at about the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and the voice in both of those comics is so strong. Oh, and, yeah. and if you enjoy Starman, I, I would 100% suggest reading The Golden Age, maybe even reading The Golden Age first. And there's even specific references in the omnibus to events that occurred in The Golden Age. Even though it was, a quote-unquote, an Elseworlds mm-hmm. tale. Yep. Now, did that start as an Elseworlds? I mean, we're sidetracking into... I believe, yes. yes. Okay, it was. Yes. Okay. But parts of it, I think, have been... 
like uh you know ted knight's mental breakdown has been something that they've folded into the actual Mm -hmm. you know actual history of it and the incidents in washington yeah oh okay so it's sort of hinted at but you know with any any reference to your golden age story it's got a lot of you know don't pull at the threads too hard too hard Robinson had a nice time gap that he could play with where Starman was off camera in the DCU, so he did. And kind of wove in the stuff from Golden Age as being events that happened when the other Starmen were in place. And that was how he explained that those events actually did happen. So it wasn't so much that he put the whole Golden Age in continuity as much as he took the things from Starman that he really wanted to use within uh, this volume and made them continuity. He did a, he crafted it really quite well where anybody who would say, but that couldn't happen and all that, he explained it along the way. No, yes, it could, and this is how it did, So, which was really nice for long-time I readers. I imagine a lot of spreadsheets. <laughs> uh, Roy Thomas-like spreadsheets <laughs> where you can, what what week you can jam something into during World War II. Well, that's what you yeah. do with all, all the uh, All-Star Squadron, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. those literally take place between other stories so i mean there's a history of of doing that but there's a huge there's a huge historical gap you know after world war ii where you saw the justice society once a year when they would show up with the justice league but i mean really nothing you know of tremendous significance i mean it was cool to see him and you'd have little character moments but it's not like you learned what jay garrick was up to you know, in that year since, so there's a huge gap of, like, time where they were around, but really, they weren't the driving, there's no stories, really, about what they were doing, mm-hmm. they just would show up, and it'd be cool, but, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of space for Robinson to do, to sure. go in and... Well, let's, let's actually get into, into the story a little bit, and, and set it up, um, you know, basically, the, uh, the story, the story starts with, uh, with what a new Starman in in the Opal uh, Opal City, which uh, which we'll definitely talk about. Um, Opal. You only City. have an hour, Chris. <laughs> I leave in exactly one hour. <laughs> we have yeah. T minus uh, you know, fifty two nah, minutes and counting. I got time. Um, but but kind of uh, talk about about the setup and and where the story starts and and as we're introduced to a new Starman on the scene in in Opal City and and he is Starman. I guess has always been the Hero of of Opal is that correct? And Opal City, well, uh, I don't believe it existed before this series. I, oh, really? I think he created it for this series. God, it doesn't feel like it. In the Golden Age, uh, I'm I just read the Golden Age Starman archives, and it's never actually named the city where Ted Knight is operating. It's kind of implied that it's. New York, but it's never specifically named. Well, it's, and the you know the city kind of from the get go creates its own character. You know, Robinson creates this character of Opal City, and 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 it's important. It's why is why is Opal so important in Starman? I think well, Robinson talks about it in the back. Um, one one of the things that he really treasured about DC was that it had cities like Gotham, Metropolis, which, yes, you can sort of find, you know, Metropolis as kind of any big major city, but there are unique qualities that are exclusive to Metropolis, unique qualities to Gotham. Um, You look at the Flash, you know, the multiple cities that the Flash is operated out of, depending 
if you're talking about uh, Jay Garrick or Wally West and Barry Allen, you know, they have their unique nature as well. Uh, he wanted to do the same thing with Opal City. This was his chance to kind of craft that city and give it that unique DC feel and, mm -hmm. and pull off the heritage that makes a DC book unique. Uh, whereas Marvel books tend to be grounded more in the real world. And well, it is, they're, it is all, they're all hanging out in Manhattan. They're all in Manhattan. That's yeah. one of the things. And I don't that, mean that as a knock. No, it's, no, it's not It's actually at all. kind of what he was saying. His whole point was it is that unique nature that makes it nice to read different things between both. Countries. Everyone gets their city, all right. <laughs> Everyone has a city. I, I've really grown to appreciate that in in DC, and it makes sense. I mean, if you think about a big wide world and there's you know there's 20 major cities in the United States well yeah each city is going to need its champion they're not you know all the bad shit doesn't happen in Manhattan you know it's some bad shit does some bad shit but I mean you got the north side it's of St. Louis to worry about you know the north side of yeah what sort of <laughs> what sort of hero would St. Louis have um Oh gosh, um, Aquaman, folksy yeah. Aquaman. Yeah, he would <laughs> come right up the river yeah, for New would, Orleans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. that'd be his city. He'd sink it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, Opal becomes its own character, and it's and it's very important. And uh, um, Mr. Shade's journal over here, uh, obviously, the Shade is very very uh, popular character for you, and one that you hold dear. Um, and it seems like the Shade almost holds Opal. To a, to a level of reverence more than anybody else in the book. Right. And that's, as we were talking about earlier, that's something that really comes out in the Shades Journal that gives his past with the city and all of the times past issues show, most of them show the shade in Opal City as he's writing because he's been there since 1883, 1882, I believe, whatever the... Uh, I don't know if it says at the table of contents for a long time. Yeah, he's been there. He's been there. Oh, yeah, for, it's right for, there. 1882. <laughs> and he's putting The one thing that I love about the shade in this is it's about to him. It's about home. Exactly. And when somebody comes to your home and violates your home, you're going to take things that are at your root core of your character, and you are going to change them to protect your home. And he does that throughout this story. And in many ways, it makes him. Oh, you can relate to this person who's typically throughout history been this very strong villain. Uh, you can now relate to him in a very different manner because his home is being violated multiple times where he now has to take on a role that he clearly is not always comfortable with. And it it's adds just a different dimension to his character, makes him a little bit more three-dimensional, a little more human. In sure. a way, especially considering, uh, you know, that his powers are way out there. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, you know, kind of from the beginning, you, you get a feeling that he's he's not necessarily a good guy. He's not necessarily a bad guy. It's, he's And he's not even really Opal's protector, but he, I don't know, how would you describe his, his relationship with the city and what he does in the in the the series of uh, of this first omnibus to, to be, you know, kind of like this force in, in Opal? He's, he's trying to connect with, um, first of all, he connects with Opal, as, as I mentioned, as home, but he's also trying to connect with a piece of Opal's past in its hero and that legacy. He's looking for Scalp Hunter, um, which he references, and he's assuming in this volume that we're talking about that Scalp Hunter's Jack. And even in his questioning of Jack, when they have that communication, he's asking him questions. Do you, do you remember a past as uh, being an Indian? Do you remember? I mean, and he's really digging into the root of saying, you know, do you remember having a previous life? And he's looking for that person. 
and trying to reconnect with that person. Um, and it's actually, that's a really important part for people that are continue following this. There is a lot in this volume that is set up to things that don't even pay off until later issues. Um, there, and that's the nice part. This story was crafted by an author who had a game plan that he wanted to follow all the way through. Mm -hmm. And it is nice to see this. It's a different, very different kind of storytelling than we're used to nowadays. And this fact that, you know, we're used to creative teams jumping. You know, after a certain amount of time, sure. um, it's very rare for us now to see somebody have 80 issues on a book. Uh, a Frankie Vaughn with Y. Right, or, exactly. You know, and when you a get, rarity. That's, right. It's celebrated now. But when you get that, you know, you've got an author who's really invested in telling a, a big story um, with big events and multiple chapters. And he sets up a lot of his chapters along the way in a way that it's actually worth when you're done reading all of these volumes to go back and reread it again. And it, things will start clicking. You're like, mm. oh, my gosh. I forgot how much about... setup there was for things later. Because when you're reading mm -hmm. it, I mean, stuff, some of that doesn't come up for four years you know oh, wow. like you know some of the stuff that's uh, that's brought up and I, I was gonna say one the thing that strikes me about the shade is that he seems like such a he's a really sad he's a sad bored person you know he's someone who's been around for a really long time and he doesn't have i mean he's not somebody he seems like he's somebody who thinks he knows everything he's seen everything he doesn't really have friends you know, not really. Everyone's at a distance, you know, like even his villainy seems to be more based solely on the fact that he's got nothing, <laughs> nothing to do. To he's do. not going to yeah. die. He's not going to, you know, what well, else is he like, to do? Well, there's, there's a story where it seemed like he had had friends in the past, but I'm sure he got probably tired of all of his friends dying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think there's a sense of that to, you know, to his character of like he just seems really lonely. You know, and you see that as it goes on in the story is that he kind of does, he, you know, he wants to connect with people. Like you said, he was looking for his old, you know, his old friend. He just doesn't have, he doesn't have anyone. You, when you see him, he seems to be, you know, he's supposed to be this aloof character, but he's really like alone a lot of times when you see him. He's alone, like writing or he's alone. He shows up to talk to Jack and then disappears, but he's not going back to somebody else, you know, that's his contact with humanity, really, is somebody. When you see his times past with Oscar Wilde, mm -hmm. you get to see him look at a home that for him was very important in the past that had changed. And he talks about that in his inner dialogue, how that home changed for him. And I think that's why that's a good setup piece to get kind of an eye on what the Shade's doing and what that's important to him is that he doesn't want this to happen to Opal. He's seen it happen before. Okay. And it's it's really cool how um, Robinson wasn't afraid to delve way into a character's past and devote whole issues to that <laughs> to give you kind of an insight. It's why I think these characters, this why this book still has that um after eight after all these years i read all 80 issues when it came out and this is a book i consistently talk about with people that you need to read because of the fact that they're characters that are important to me you're one of those guys yeah, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, it was also a great way to give tony harris time to catch up yeah yeah, yeah. 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 like uh, have uh, you know an issue or two a year where 
Tony and, Harris isn't doing the art, so. And it, and it totally fits because you can do a, you can do a fill-in artist there because you're setting a different tone, a different atmosphere, and everything. And that's fantastic. And you're right. And that's a brilliant way to handle that without it being jarring to the reader who's reading it monthly. Sure. It feels you know, natural. Yeah. Sure. Um, I, I think it's a testament that that we can spend that much time talking about a villain who's maybe not even the villain. He's a very ambiguous character. Mm -hmm. Well, as you read on, you'll see mm -hmm. his motivations. Yeah, and he gets he gets he's very complicated. He's yeah. very complicated. And it's even set up in this volume which yeah. complicated villains are the best villains it's the it's the it's the you know run in shoot or smash villains for, well, really because funny. they're evil that's not that engaging and, and doing tom versus the jla i read you know um some jla jsa crossover where the shade appears and it's really funny when you read um and this is hap this happens a lot with villains you know when someone's been around for 50 years you know like captain cold or um the shade but no one's really ever done anything with them besides have them show up and mm -hmm. fight the good guy and then mm -hmm. disappear for a year. And then when it's that character's turn to show up again, you Here bring him back. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's always funny when you get someone who writes him really well, and then you go back and you read the older original stuff, and you're like, oh, this isn't the shade. It's like, oh, that's how strong that character can be. Oh, can si sidebar, can you, um, not now, but a little bit later, can you explain to me Black Canary's whole origin <laughs> story again and like the body switching? That's where I am in, in uh, JLA. And I'm I'll draw you a graph. And, and a little <laughs> disturbed. Yeah, I'm a little, just, disturbed. a little disturbing. Uh, that's for a different topic for a different show. <laughs> she is her own mother. Yeah, uh -huh. that's weird. Um, you had, you had mentioned uh, actually like every time that we talk about this book leading up to this episode, you say best zero issue ever. Why? Um, because it made sense. There's the actual <laughs> beginning. I mean, at the same time when zero happened, the Aquaman series was at like issue four, and then the next issue was a zero issue. Mm -hmm. It was just it was like really you need to have like you've only had four issues and you're already like you really this is the defining this? yeah. And most zero issues. I know the idea. If you if you read comics in the uh, in the 90s, the zero issue was that issue that was supposed to trick you into thinking that this is going to be a great jumping on point. But for a lot of them, they were just really uh, they were not done very well. No, it didn't matter. It they were kind of watered down, like versions of the character. You know, that just sort of. If you read the zero issue and then you read the next issue, there wasn't any guarantee that that zero issue was going to give you any clue under what's going on. I mean, some were done well, but what's great is this was a zero issue that actually started. You know, it was a start to a longer story, and it made sense, and there was a reason for it to be there. I wonder why it of... wasn't just issue one, because it reads as issue one. Because of zero hour. Oh, all of the oh, entire oh. the entire line had a zero issue. So Batman did Detective, Con you know, straight on through. Yeah. It was just kind of books. fortunate that this start happened, happened just happened to, to be started yeah. at zero hour. Four or five characters, and I'm just throwing this. Oh out yeah, they had a good that, that they relaunched. I think yeah. was Fate one of them. Fate, Manhunter, yeah. Primal yeah. Force, and mm -hmm. Xenoblade. You, yeah. there's a reason why you don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you don't remember Xenobrood? <laughs> I'm like Xenobrood. Oh yeah, but that's I mean that's why it's a zero issue. I mean it's one of those classic sort of 90s thing, like the negative one issue. And admittedly, know? I wasn't reading the entire line then, so I mean, it's like, I, you're right, there's a reason why I don't remember. Yeah. Um, this was this was a book that, right away from the poster, the character looked cool. When I read Zero Hour, they had Jack in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really quick, you know, it was a very short thing with David and his father. 
and you know which led right into this. So, I mean, there's nothing that you're missing. They even reference it in here. It's yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's only those, he just the shows up right. saying, "Oh, right." I would. I hope I don't have to be stuck, you know, or <laughs> something like you know. But I figured, you know, I'd try the zero issue and see if it was any. I mean, there was something. The costume looked cool. You know, they had because the the poster that they showed, they showed him with the um, rod that we see him with in the later issues, the one that he kind of helped his dad craft and design. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was, he was an interesting looking character at a time yeah. in the 90s. It was like, okay, this is a hip character. They're going for something a little different. Yeah, he wasn't spandex. Yeah. Yeah. He but, didn't have a sword. He didn't have claws. He didn't have, you know, like, mm -hmm. it was like he a wasn't covered in hollow but it was hip in the sense that <laughs> it looked like a, a person as mm -hmm. opposed to... Just another guy with, uh, you know, a sword or huge ripped muscles or, you know, that it looked real, mm -hmm. you know, like a real person, how a real person would dress. Well, uh, Sean had, had mentioned it whenever we first started. So, you know, Jack is the everyman. He's, you know, how I, I think a he's lot a of... He's a collector. Yeah, he's how he's a lot of comic book fans probably <laughs> would like to picture themselves as, you know, if I were going to be in the same situation or we're going to be a hero this is i'm gonna this sleep is, with a circus freak yeah, <laughs> yeah. i love every it. comic book geek's dream <laughs> tentacle girl it's the original original te tentacle porn right yeah there. original yeah that's the, the japanese got that from this but then she even said that he doesn't have to stick around yeah, that's the case. Yeah, she was like, "All right, see you later." Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, it was. It was basically, I'm looking for Mr. Wright. Um, or Mr. Right, right now. now. When is he gonna leave? God, hanging around all day. You talk about the collector aspect, and that is something that. Uh, I think that's very much a James Robinson thing. I think he talks about it in either the the forward or mm -hmm. or the afterward. Talks about you know kind of his not not compulsive collector mentality but what compulsive I mean, he, he he loves old stuff <laughs> mm -hmm. and collectors are compulsive that's why you collect i mean it doesn't mean that you're non-functioning the rest of your life but <laughs> to collect something it has a component of so it, so you're compulsion. saying that if you're like in the middle of a, a drag down knockout fight and you're actually thinking about this antique chair that you're going to be <laughs> late trying to pick up, that's maybe a little compulsive? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, so there's I mean, a little James Robinson and Jack. I've done that. I've thought about comic books I want to buy while I'm fighting on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> it's also Jack's out. livelihood, though, which mm -hmm. is an interesting concept because he knows that if the because uh, a lot of times he's racing for these things with other collectors who are looking to sell yeah. them in similar shops. Yeah. So in his case, he's going to be then, you know, if if, if he misses, and he does miss deals yeah. inside this issue it. specifically yeah. because he has to make the right choice. Mm -hmm. So he does the right thing as a hero, but then he's like, oh, man, and, uh, you know, I knew I could have sold this. I, I love when that. he's explaining his business or a particular <laughs> business deal to his dad, Ted Knight, mm -hmm. and he's like, I forget what the items were, but it was basically, I can meet this guy on this part of town and buy like these antique records or something like that because I know that there's someone you know 10 miles out of town that I can swap these for like a bearskin rug and you know then trade it to someone else and sell that for tons of money in the shop and it's like this you know complex trading bartering mm -hmm. selling system that that that's what these guys do for a living and it's, it also cool, it's such a different type of job for superheroes most superheroes you know, if they don't have, if they're not rich, independently they're wealthy, they're scientists or reporters or or cops. Yeah, you know, like very rarely are they small business owners. <laughs>
in, in the secondhand collectibles in the DC market. Universe, not a whole lot of the heroes are this small. Well, Green Canary, uh, Green Canary, uh, Black Canary, of course, owned a flower shop, small business owner. Yeah, yeah. Florist, I can see it. Yeah. But was that before she was, or after she was melded? Always with her? florist. It's a family of florists. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the funny part was Jack was so into antiques in the past, in you know his job. But he was fighting against the traditions and the past of Starman. Yes. Very early on, which was, it almost seems to be a contradiction, which he later realizes how right he was for this. But uh, it was, and I love the bits where he can't admit it to his dad. You know, because sure, I think, we, you know, we've all been in that position with family at some point mm-hmm. where um, you don't want to admit that they were right or you don't, you know, it's it's that independence, it's that defiance that we all have or have had at some point. You were right are the three, three yeah. hardest words in the, in the English language. <laughs> you were language. right. Exactly. And sometimes you get to that point where you're like, I wish I had said that and the moment's passed. But, and, and Jack has a lot of those, which is one of the great things about him because he reads so real. Well, I mean, this book opens up with with a lot of sadness. It basically opens up with with Ted's son and and Jack's older brother David being shot and killed, and and you know proving you know kind of right off the bat that he was not cut out to be Starman. It's like his first night as Starman, I yeah. or it, it it you know it puts it out there that it's very early. The yeah. fans were pissed because a lot of people said that David Knight was their favorite star man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure some I'm sure someone did. You know whenever someone dies, someone's like, he's my favorite character even though he's appeared well, twice. That was in that years. was that person that was that person's first star man. He showed up for seven panels. I'm so angry. Yeah, those appearances he had in the Will Payton series were we're so good. Yeah, you know, whenever <laughs> Why isn't dies. he in the Starman cave? <laughs> um, but, it was, but, it, but it opens up with this tragic event for this family. And um, um, I've, I've heard Matt describe Starman before as, as it, it's a story about, about fathers and sons and brothers. And that's it's really apparent right from the start about um, Jack's relationship with his brother and his father and, and not always a good relationship. Right, right. You know, and you, you kind of well, it's a lot of um, a lot of, and you start to see it more and more is that uh, Jack has a lot of qualities that Ted doesn't didn't have, and that he can't. You know, he even uh, Ted says it that Jack's all about aesthetics, and Ted was never about aesthetics. Mm-hmm. That was that was his mom. His mom was the one who was all about how things looked and mm-hmm. like appearances and stuff. And there's a, there's a sadness also to sort of Ted Knight in the fact that he, you know, he's obviously someone who's lost a lot of things. You know, he lost his wife. You know, he's lost his son. Um, and he doesn't quite know how to connect to Jack. I mean, they love each other, but it's very apparent that Polar they don't opposites. they don't necessarily see things the same way. I mean, <laughs> the part in the book where Ted, like, offhand, offhandedly remarks that he had dinner once with some, you know, painter and, you know, uh, Jack freaks up as it's one of his favorite painters. But, you know, the disconnect and being that Ted, you know, he would have no idea that that was something, his, you know, his son would like. But you start to see them get closer and closer. And the fun, it's like through the job that he inherited is how that they're, they're starting to see each other. You know, the part where Jack says, you know, it felt really good to save people. And that was something they both... Could not, he Ted could understand 
what Jack was feeling, and Jack could understand why his dad did what he did. And that was the the bridge between them was that being Starman was, you know, it's like if your father is in the mafia and then you're in the mafia, or your father's a ditch digger and you're a ditch digger. <laughs> you know, that's the... It even goes one step further, though, and you're 100% correct, but taking it beyond that, Jack is a constant reminder of the wife that was lost. Mm-hmm. Because even David references it later in those talking with those talking with David issues. If if anybody liked the one presented in the Omnibus, the later ones get even better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, that's not taking anything away with what was presented here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something that is a consistent. You heard Sean say yeah. this one was the worst. One. <laughs> <laughs> you know, somebody, for somebody uh, out there, it yeah. was their favorite. Yes, yeah. that's true. Because it was their one. first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was my first too, but it, uh, but the nice thing is he you get to see that that he is viewed as you know so much like the mother, but the dad almost is like putting up the blinders and doesn't want to remember that part of what he saw all along in Jack is the parts that were him, the parts that were like him. Mm-hmm. Jack fights against that too. Mm-hmm. You know he doesn't want to admit that he's so much like dad and that there are you know he parts of him that are like re- that. He remembers the past differently. Where mm-hmm. there's scenes where he remembers that he's the one that said I want to be like that. I want to yeah. be like mm-hmm. even though he Through likes masters. To, yeah, he likes to he in his you know you know 20s is like oh, i don't want to do that it's like when i went to college and i wanted to pretend like i didn't like the professional football even though i was from green bay and you have to like the packers and i was like oh no you know professional sports <laughs> for the uh pro you know the proletariat the common man and i'm going to be better than that and then you know it was a losing fight, you know, but you like to remember. Now you have Brett Favre underwear on. I'm wearing it right now. I got a Brett Favre tattoo on my back, and he's riding an eagle. <laughs> the flag. But you remember, it's the way you remember your past to fit what you think you are now. Sure. Well, you that know? was a big like, revelation in, in the book is whenever he remembers that moment mm-hmm. where he was he was playing Starman. He's like, yeah. no, I'm Starman. And, you know, fighting with his brother on who who got to play dad you know and uh and that was the, i think that was a huge moment for jack in the book you know i i think what what's really important about those two characters and there are three characters if you count with david you know from the beginning david is in the exact same star man costume that his father was and and it they just can't can't be what his father was but jack i mean very reluctantly out of necessity says okay well i'll do this for a little bit but i'm not putting the tights on and he creates this this new kind of persona you know it's not creating a persona it's it's his star man outfit which really isn't an outfit just reflects who he is as a person totally awesome duster man yeah that's an outfit you know, he, he may be Starman, but he's not going to be his father's Starman. He's going to be his own Starman. This isn't your dad, Starman. <laughs> not your dad, Starman. And that's kind of what James Robinson is saying. This is not your father's Starman. And David is like the example in the whole piece in the sense that David never has the opportunity to define his own identity. Um, it was apparent that he was never cut out for the Starman role. His dad even knew it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that was one of the reasons why when David passed away, he was so angry with Jack. And it was because of the fact that he's like, you know, you were the one that should have been this person, not David. David was never meant for this. Right. And but and nobody knows what David was meant for because David was never had that opportunity to find out who he really was. And, I mean, uh, what a real-life story that is because, I mean, you know, we all run through that where we got to find out who we are and what, you know, what keeps us going. 
Yeah, tell me about it, man. <laughs> Doing this show every week. It's not my life. It's not my life. Not my life. Not meant to be doing this. Like your family did before yeah. you. Like my father did a comic book podcast before me, and I'm trying to take his. Some go family member out there that's supposed to the, do this. The other thing I really like, uh, you know, and we've talked about like the father and son is how Robinson manages to get all the other star men that don't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Because you have uh, uh, something that happens in comic books when um you have a name or like a perceived brand, but you don't necessarily like the old version. You know, you'll be like, oh, it's the late seventies. I'll have a blue skinned alien toy man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every time, you know, someone will be like, ah, I'm going to do a star man, but it's not going to. This isn't going to be your dad, star man. This is going to be a blue skinned alien. And then, you know, twenty years later, like it's not your I star man. Bridges shows up in the stunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, and then there's the star man who's Will Payton, who got shot by some like energy beam and became star man. But uh, Robinson makes. Uh, and a really great effort, and mm-hmm. I think uh, Jeff Johns probably um, stole this part of James Robinson's mind of making it all fit together. So it was all it all makes sense. They're all star men. They all have a tie to each other. They're all they're all linked. They're not mm-hmm. you know even the Prince Gavin star man who uh, we see for like one panel in this one. You know all the star and it works. It's tied. okay, and they could actually have Sunday dinner with each other and get along, and it would be okay. He makes the star man of 1951 make sense. Yeah, even though that's a, you, I you don't know got who that. Yeah, yeah, you'll get there. <laughs> oh, okay. But uh, you know, it's oh, I forget. Yeah, it's not even the Shades Journal wasn't in this where he's first mentioned. But um, it's he. You know, you see it all the time. Johns does it really well now with most books. Is and just because there's 60 different versions of Toy Man, Toy Man doesn't mean that you have to ignore all 60. You can, yeah. if you're if you're thinking, and I'm pointing at my head. This is uh, <laughs> this is audio, so you can't see that. But uh, and there's no it all together. yeah, there's no reason that all 60 of those versions of Toy Man can't be relevant and and important in their own little way. Yeah, same with Starman. Where this is unique, though, and completely agreeing with that, is that. Robinson obviously cared about this concept and these characters. And as he fleshed this idea out, he really wanted to show that this stuff is cool. <laughs> and, I mean, I think you need a writer who wants to do that and has a desire to do that and, and has a connection with those characters in order to get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, one of the things that, that Sal said, and, and I think he's almost oh, where done is he? reading it. Uh, Sal is... Uh, I think at home with the kids tonight. Oh, yeah, reading them Spider-Man stories I, or something on those. Spider-Man ones. rain. That <laughs> Spider-Man's shadows. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I think he's saving up his energy for this weekend. He's ready to. He's ready to partay out in Rosemont. It's gonna be trouble. It's gonna be so much fun. I'm. I'm so excited. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm try not to puke on the first night. Um, the. Uh, the book it has weight, and this is something that Sal and I have been talking about. It's whenever... heavy. The book's literally heavy. It, it is. It's not you know seventeen that. issues. Um, James Robinson has has a writing style, and he he obviously researches and puts these things together. But he has more than anything, he has a voice. And whenever you whenever you put this down, I tried to read a, an issue or two a night. I didn't want to read more than that because each. Each kind of chapter in this in this story, it means something. There's weight to it, and you you put it down, and you you know you feel like you've read something, if not with importance, but um, it it meant something. 
and and I I I think this series, and I don't want to, you know. Uh, I, I have a bad habit of, of breaking into hyperbole and overstating really? things. It happens, Tom. Um, but I this think, might be the greatest thing ever done ever, ever in the ever ever in the, hi- ever, ever <laughs> in the history of the world. But, no, I mean it, it has a voice. It has weight. It's you know, and Robinson. I, I felt that way with with the Golden Age. Is that he just has a way of adding weight to things that I think struck a chord with you. Um, He's really good at narration, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. uh, strength and we It can be. It can be a weakness at times, too, because... Um, too much narration can get very dry. It can get very dry, and it can also sometimes when you need to have a battle scene. And I think, uh, you know, this kind of dovetails a little bit into what I want to talk about next. Was like We've talked a lot about James Robinson, but I want to talk a little about, about Tony Harris and that um, I love Tony Harris's work in the book, and I love James, Ro- James Robinson's narration, but sometimes, especially in the beginning, when I think they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do, there's battle scenes where it's a little, like, too much narration and not enough actually seeing what's going on. And you're kind of like, how did that happen? You know, like, yeah. the core, and it gets better and better, but the, you know, the first couple ones, you're kind of like, you know, you can do with just a, a touch less narration during the battle scene and a little bit more of the visual. But they get better and better with that, especially Tony Harris's art. You know, you look at the first issue to the seventh issue, I mean, it's like oh gosh, and you, night and day. You, you know? look at this compared to like Ex Machina. I mean, talk about a guy that's changed styles over the last yeah, what, can, uh, uh, issue one to the covers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. take a look at your cover and then take a look at your issue yeah, that's, one. That's, you know? that's Tony Harris. They changed and it got better. They got both got better. I think <laughs> at getting the, the stories across. Did you guys all get a chance to read the afterward? Yeah, not yet. I read okay, it on yet. the. I read it um, on a plane. Uh, right. <laughs> um, one of the cool things about the afterword in this book that I really like um, is it exp- exactly what we're talking about here. He and it's definitely worth reading. Um, he goes into the relationship with Tony Harrison. You can tell that exactly what you're addressing yeah. is something that early on it was clear. If you read between the lines, that there was some headbutting. I'm not saying it, you know, it was necessarily violent or anything, but the two of them were trying to find that right mixture for this book. And it does, I think, it feels like it pays off later. Yeah. The communication between the two, they found that happy medium, and he found that he had to respect what Tony brought to the table, and Tony found that, you know, and they they found that point. But I liked the. Um, it's one of the books. A lot of times, I'm one. I gloss over forwards and afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, typically I want to get into the story. I want to read the story and all that. This one, I, I really, for anybody. Who who wants to get into the head of the writer? If you read this book and you kind of, if you're kind of like me and you skip those usually, I urge you to read them for this particular the afterwards book. Afterwards, really good. The yeah, afterward the, was yeah. the aborted forward. Yes. Instead of getting too long, not only does not only apparently not only does James Robinson like to narrate heavily his stories, but he likes to narrate heavily his own life. Uh, nice, <laughs> like, nice. With a lot of detail. And it was. I had the, eggs for breakfast. Uh, yeah. The forward was brilliant though because that's where you get that story. Yeah, and it it's was, like I started. It and someone you can't do this. It's yeah. way too long. <laughs> it's, well, it's 12 pages. It's half the book. We can't. We can't do this. You can't do a forward that's yes. eight we, pages long. We will save it for the omnibus in 15 years. What's an omnibus? Oh, you'll find out. Uh, so you you said you wanted to, you wanted to move into a into another. Well, to sort of talk more about like the art mm-hmm. and uh, the, the sort of visuals of it. I mean, he talks about it and afterward about. The whole idea of how having Solomon Grundy be this gentle creature came from the way that Tony Harris draws Solomon Grundy, which is very different from That's you don't right, see yeah. the rare, the long-haired like hippie Solomon Grundy. You usually <laughs> see the, you know, my pants are too short. I got myself a 
It's crew cut. Boy, I'm going to you all. Give me some shrimp. You know. <laughs> Solomon Grundy. So the, 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 Mike, the Mike Norton Solomon Grundy. The, the Mike, yes, the yeah. Mike Norton. Uh, give me, yeah, some, give me some scrimps. Scrimps. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, looking at Tony Harris's artist, it gets, you know, better and better through the issues and closer and closer to um, his ex machina style. Which actually, you know, I like, whether or not you like I like, but it's, I, I, it's I not feel as heavily posed. Yeah, wouldn't yes. be my one thing that I think is better in this is it's it. Yeah, I think he it, it um forces him at times to uh, draw really fantastical things that I think he does really well. But I think in X Machina, it's not necessarily avoided, but the story never demands the sort of like a woman turning into smoke and going away, <laughs> which is sort of to me the fun part of comics is the fantastical, you know. Not necessarily the talking heads all the time. Sure. You know. Well, out of the out of the seventeen issues, and we'll just kind of go around the the table here. Is there is there one issue out of the seventeen that you would say this is my favorite issue? Matt Kramer, go. Go. Number seven. <laughs> Which that, one's number that was seven? the the first part of the circus story. Mm-hmm. that was my first the first issue of Starman that I read. Okay, which is actually, if you uh, you look at it, that's after Jack has kind of taken the mantle, and it's it's his first kind of real adventure as right. Starman. After he's kind of accepted that, you know, after the after the first one, it's like, okay, I might keep doing this for a little while. Exactly, and I didn't read the first arc until probably a year later because back then the trade, the first trade, didn't come out till 1996. Oh, well. DC wasn't always great about trading their stuff in a timely manner. <laughs> they're still not. Still great. They're getting they're better. better. They're, they're getting, getting better. better. Sure. They're getting better. better. Starman month. Yeah. Exactly. But what what else about that issue did you like? Oh, it's uh, basically everything you need to know about the book. I mean, it's got a good mix of action and humor and just the art in it. It's, mm, it's great. The collector aspect because that's yeah. why he's out there. He's out there in exactly. the country. And you see the image of the uh, old lady Buried with an axe in her head. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. kind of gory, man. I'm a little, a little scared. I'm a little yeah. freaked out by what you like. Yeah. How about you, Tom? Uh, I forget what number it is. It's the one where Jack shows up to his dad's observatory wearing um, a ragdoll sweatshirt. And his dad is like, I, you know, I told you why I don't like you wearing that sweatshirt. And he goes into the story about how, you know, ragdoll had led to sort of like a murder spree in Opal City. And... Mm-hmm. He and the JSA sort of ended up killing Ragdoll, you know, and that's why he doesn't like him, you know, wearing that shirt. Ragdoll's kind of the Charles Manson of the DC oh, yeah. universe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in hindsight. What, 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 what an odd. When did they develop that whole cult leader? Aspect. I think it was pretty much yes, this. It yeah. Okay, because that stuck around. I, I'm trying to think the last time I've seen, um, was it? Uh, well, the current uh, Ragdoll you see is like the sun or something. Right. It's not the. Didn't Gale do. Um, uh, Gail Simone do a story with the with the father ragdoll and either like a secret six or something. Well, that was that's the current one that we're seeing that he's talking about. Yeah. Well, the well, they've got they've got that ragdoll, but I think she had his father in one of those in one of those issues or like in a flashback or something. Or... I think he was in there. Um. Oh the. Uh huh. Oh yeah. 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 Rag, ragdoll. That's now, right. did they address the whole cult? 
um, leader, or am I, I might be thinking of like a, a JSA classified. From, you might be. Like the Jen Van Meter one. That's sort of did. where Ragdoll, they've sort of taken Ragdoll. But that, the rest that, of the issue, here. yeah, the rest okay. of the issue is just sort of Jack haggling with people over stuff, and you see them go to the Miss Daughter. It's like a really weird <laughs> issue because um, it's sort of all over the place, and like things, that issue's all set up. It's all set, paid off later. Like, the Ragdoll story is paid off in the, the times past where they show the JSA having to get together to stop the Ragdoll. You know, you see Miss Daughter, you know, go into action. You see what happens with the, uh, the uh, O'Dare, bro- you know, the Matthew O'Dare. Is he the one who's, you know, kind of reincarnated? You know, he's got, like, the visions of the ancient Indian. You see what's happening with him. And it's a really weird issue. It doesn't... Oh, it's... Chris just pieced something together. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you actually saw the light bulb turn on? <laughs> I saw the light bulb turn on in your head. That's always my favorite issue, especially the part where he's trying to explain to his son why he doesn't like him wearing, mm-hmm. you know, wearing that shirt. Because mm-hmm. it reminds, you know, there's evil behind that image on the on the shirt. Yeah, it really would be like, you know, someone wearing a... I think he... What is he... He mentions the Charles Manson. He's yeah, like, he, it doesn't mean yeah. anything. It's just... It's just a shirt that mm-hmm. people like wear. That actually um, yeah. brought up something that, uh, while I think this book is, is relatively timeless and, and holds up very well, there are some really funny 90s references and some yes. pop, yes. pop culture stuff that, that gets brought up. So it does it does get dated in some of that. But I think that's probably at the time Robinson was trying to make it very relevant for that that day for those readers. For those jaded 20-year-old hipsters yeah. <laughs> reading comic books. Exactly. Sean, you? Talking with David. Um, that issue, just in general, th- that started a concept that I was totally not expecting this book to go with. David died. So when David died, I was like, what? You know, wh- what do you mean we got an issue with David now? <laughs> and What's he doing was, here? But the cool part was it was two brothers and, uh, you know, anybody with family members or somebody you butt heads with. And there's somebody who you're not sure if you even like them. And I loved that whole mm-hmm. concept of the whole thing. And they have to face that. You know, they have the knockout, dragout brawl the two brothers have. And they have the talk that two brothers have. And, and the end result is they realize that they both loved each other, even if there were a lot of times where they didn't like each other at all. Mm-hmm. Um, My brothers do. Yeah. But, you know, in this case, David's being the big brother. He has some unfinished business. You know, he led his life down one direction that, you know, he put blinders on. He followed Dad and never really, you know, identified himself. And he's his goal here is to kind of mentor Jack and and keep him away from that. Yeah, and say Plus, don't screw up like I did. It serves as a great tool in the storytelling to tease things that can happen in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of the neat things about those yearly visits with David. They're cryptic because David's got rules that he has to stick with. Uh, but he's able to do certain things during that time with Jack. And that is one of the cool things about that whole concept. It was just kind of like, wow. And it was just, you know, between that and times past, that was my favorite issue, but that's one of the things with the book that Robinson wasn't afraid to step outside of the current storyline to say, here's what we're doing right now, you know, and and these are some things that are going to help you later to get further enjoyment in the story. It was cool. My favorite talking with David is the one later when they paint a house together. And they don't talk. It's all about painting. You'll see. I'm making that up. That's not true. Uh, my favorite issue is uh, is not even with Jack. It's uh, it's uh, Ted's fight with Doctor Phosphorus. Oh, yeah, that's a good yeah. one. I loved it. It was uh, 
um, you know, one of my favorite lines is is uh, is Ted saying, you know, I'm I'm not an old man. I'm maybe in an old body, but you know, I'm not I'm not a a worn out you know husk of a man. I can still do this, and and it, it kind of reinforces what makes Starman a great hero. It's kind of like Batman in the way that it's not. You know, not the superpowers. Yeah, he's got the cosmic rod or the cosmic staff, which does some pretty, pretty nifty, cool stuff. But you know, at the core, they're they're thinkers, and, and I think that Jack um, probably probably as the series goes on, what was that? And lovers. <laughs> and lovers. Uh, um, I'm sure that Jack probably <laughs> relies on on his wits um, more and more in the series. But mm-hmm. but Ted was he was he was brilliant. He was a scientist, and he basically tricked. A guy that had all the advantage in the world over him because you know he was Doc Phosphorus, who was a cool villain anyway. So, but Doc. it was a very subtle tie. It was a nice tie into that underworld that mm-hmm. unleashed. It was like this whole story where Neuron was making all the uh, the villains like powered up, and some of them it worked. Doctor Phosphorus, some didn't quite work. This was a good. This was a good one where the it made sense with the villain and apparently it also made him wear stylish period style clothing <laughs> <laughs> like, like, how does he no smoke reason. i don't understand that. I, you know just a nice like an old-fashioned suit <laughs> why not Instead of bringing um, up his jumpsuit yeah, yeah exactly. that, that whole that whole end story arc to this uh to the omnibus it was what, four issues that all take place the same time from different perspectives right which which I love that that storytelling technique, but one of the things that that um that I was thinking as I was reading it is that wow, this was really written before the writing for the trade mm-hmm. movement or before a lot of things were collected. This was really written as a monthly periodical, and you almost kind of needed that that time in between issues this is it works great as a collection don't get me wrong but i think the the you having think people these days would be like oh god it's the same day for six oh, months when yeah. are they gonna get to tomorrow <laughs> this is so boring they showed murder three before murder two. two. Oh my god <laughs> <laughs> but yeah well i mean interesting storytelling device but you know definitely reinforced that this was this was a monthly comic when it came out and uh, I think we talked about Born Again, uh, what, a year ago or so. And uh, and I, I still feel like Born Again works better in single issues or by stopping um, in between those issues because the buildup of time in between those really reinforces. I, when I buy a trade, I force myself to only read one chapter a month. <laughs> one chapter a month. And sometimes I build in delays so, like, I can get angry. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read this in six months. I'm so, so pissed. <laughs> You know, I follow the exact when I read Watchmen, I waited like a year to read the last issue. <laughs> <laughs> I put it off to the side. You guys ever do like, that? Do you, do you buy a trade and say, you know what, I'm only gonna, I'm going to read one issue of this a day or, or one a week? Sometimes, yeah. if I have to like think about it, yeah, I'm going to talk about it. I don't necessarily. Well, especially read if, on them. you know, if I want to start getting to the trade, because a lot of times, you know, if you're reading a decent amount of monthly books, it's really hard to delve into a trade. Mm-hmm. And unless you set aside that time to say, hey, I'm going to read one issue, you know, at a time, you're never going to get the trade going. I've got a, I've got a stack full of trades what? that I would love to get to. You seem like you wouldn't have that much to read. <laughs> oh, slam on the DC guy. No, I'm just saying that when I listen to the podcast, it seems like you're caught up on your reading. 
I'm kidding. Oh, okay, Obviously, yeah. believe me, believe me. As, as a fellow podcaster, and he's giving you shit. <laughs> yeah. That 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 is, that is a that is a skill that you develop over time. <laughs> oh yeah, I know what's going on there. Whatever. Whatever. Of course. Well, any uh, any Suck closing thoughts before we uh, wrap this one up? We didn't even have to fight Sean at all. I figured that he'd be like, you know, <laughs> you I'm told just getting, me an hour. We're, we're like, right, just, yeah. you know, he's just getting warmed up, though. Yeah. I mean, what? Oh, I could of, keep going. Yeah, oh, I, know, I know you could. I know. We'll, <laughs> you we'll, said an hour. I tell you, I tell you what, we will, uh, we'll, we'll take the you up on that. The hour limits mostly me for all the times I've bitched about <laughs> being here at like midnight. And like, God. How much do we I'm, need to I'm, do? I'm here to serve, Tom. I yeah, exactly. Know. Well, I, I tell you what, we should probably uh, we should probably do this like our annual JLA JSA crossover, and uh, and you've been making Chicago a regular trip. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. And uh, so we should we should start doing this regularly. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how much more Starman you have to talk about. <laughs> you you'll be doing it for another year. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm sure. Um, yeah. Real quick before we grind, before we man. do uh, wrap up, um, Matt, tell people about the podcast and where they can find it. Well, uh, my podcast is The Shades Journal. You can find it on the Reader Feed, which is a collection of a podcast about characters or concepts that can't necessarily support their own show. But I think there's a show about there's a show about Hellboy on there. There's a show about Fell. A show about Doctor Sleepless. A show about Iron Fist. A show about Fell. Yep. Re- mm-hmm. The worn out the. Really? No, I'm just going to say, I was like, God, it's like, like 10 issues. <laughs> I was going to say, is there room for a David Knight podcast in there? Yep. It's like one. <laughs> uh, I love David Knight. <laughs> nice. Okay. You can find it either at the shadesjournal.blogspot.com or the readerfeed.blogspot.com. And in the show, I'm going to go through all 82 issues, annuals, crossovers, one shots and then also take a few issues where the characters that appear in this book had appeared before and talk about what was the same before and what James Robinson changed like like David Knight he had two appearances prior to this series where James Robinson just basically remade the character wiped it clean yeah sure and I'm currently recorded up through issue number 12. Okay. Awesome. Fantastic. Do you stockpile them? Yep. Oh, God, I wish I, I need to learn how to do that. Yeah, you. I mean, you're. how often does it come out, Matt? Try to put it out weekly. Weekly, okay. I well, only time. did one this week. And, really? Uh, well, I had it was getting hate for mail? a wedding. Oh, well, <laughs> then if, they, if they complain about that, then I want them to stop listening. <laughs> Really, honestly, it doesn't matter. If you complain to me, just erase, just delete. The, just yeah, know. unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. Uh, Mr. Whelan, tell uh, everybody knows about Raging Bullets, but I'll, I'll give you give you a minute here to uh, any, that one person out there that hasn't listened to Raging Pedal Bullets. You away, sir. Our buzzword is brevity. Quick, yeah, quick, fast. Wow. They are so, they're sure you listen to on your commute if you are traveling to the moon. But, um, <laughs> Raging Bullets, uh, ragingbullets.com. Um, we're part of the CPN. There's um, all kinds of places you can get our podcast. But um, basically, we go in-depth, um, cover to cover, um, the comic experience from A to B. You know, what panels we liked, what panels we didn't like, um, the stapling. <laughs> and when he means in depth, yeah, right. he means that if you're one of those guys that works in a cube in a building and you need to 
fill your days with comic book talk, these are your guys yeah, because yeah. you're going to get a lot of content. You're going to get a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And that's good. It's yeah, I think you're you're one of the podcasts that uh, that fits that need and there are a lot of people out there that have talked to us before that were like, you know, do 8-hour shows because I need I need to listen. And, and Tom, Tom like, you know, cringes even thinking God. about. It. There are a lot oh. of people out there that would just listen to comic book podcasts all day long and uh we just not I'll do eight-hour eight shows when they start paying for it. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> hey, well, that's why, that's that. why we're all part of networks and things like that, too, because uh, yeah, there's something all of us offer and bring to the table, so which is always great. Absolutely. And speaking uh, speaking of uh, other podcasts, you can uh, you can listen to me ramble on a little bit more each week uh, by listening to 11 O'Clock Comics, uh, lots of quacking and uh, whiskey drinking <laughs> on, uh, on that. Uh, so uh, check that out, uh, uh, the forum there at uh, Bullpen Bulletins Podcast, I think. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's bullpenbulletins.com. BullpenBulletins.com. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I joined up on the forum. And I'm, I'm enjoying the podcast a great deal. It, it's fun. It's it, it's a good time. It's it's uh, allows me to um, flex some different uh, muscles. And mm-hmm. Don't have to lie and tame as much on that one as I do here. <laughs> so, I know you've, this. I, I think it's the headsets. The headsets have made this very. You know, Calm. It's kicked back. Oh, I haven't complained yet. I know. Were well, you getting ready to? <laughs> yeah. But uh, before you do, uh, um, tell people about Tom versus JLA. Um. I talk about an issue of the JLA um, hopefully three times a week. This week I only got one. I would have done one tonight if it wasn't for this, but uh, it's like 10 minutes long, 10 to 15 minutes long. I poke fun. I hug it. I shove it. It's all love, love to it. It is. It is. I look in and I say, I love you, but I hate you too. <laughs> and then uh, I'm almost done with that, though. I only got about 15 more issues to go, and then I'm going to do the Flash. Nice. Yeah. Where are you starting with the Flash? Right at the beginning. Showcase four, turtle, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I said that now, but I will. Are you, have, are, you are you are you going to break your copy of Showcase four out of the vault? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My copy of Showcase four. <laughs> I have to steal that. Those will be coming in a showcase. Uh, reminder to everyone out there: uh, uh, Scotty Young is continuing with the uh, Devil and Me. Casey puts the lotion on her skin before she gets the hose again. So check that very funny relationship and just general pop culture show. So check out Let me the move Devil this on me. I want to thank. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank uh, Mark, who's not here for hosting this as always. He's out at Rosemont setting up for the for the show. Uh, want to thank uh, Sean and and Jim, even though Jim's kind of just been uh, quietly sitting off to the side here. You're going to be chatterbox whenever we go out for dinner, though. I can tell. I'm ready to talk. Uh, Matt, always good to see you, my man. Uh, Always welcome to come down from uh, Milwaukee. Tom, um, we hit our one-hour mark. Nice. We did good. Perfect. All right. Well done. And uh, you're out uh, at uh, at Wizard this uh, Saturday? You coming out Friday? Come out tomorrow night? I'll come out Friday night, I think, unless I'm really tired from work. I'll show you where Jeff Johnson and Ethan Van Skyver were eating (gasps) dinner last night. (laughs) We can sit in the same booth. Jeff Johns, you want to help me move this couch into my van? Did, Did we really stay 14? within an hour? Yeah, we're... I'm so ashamed. <laughs> Longer. Longer. Everyone have a fantastic week. We'll be back again next Monday with another full-length episode of uh, Around Comics. In the meantime, somebody's got to say in between time. time. We'll be everywhere in and around, and around comics. comics. Yeah. So much Security. enthusiasm. Oh. <laughs> I feel like I'm, yeah.
Thanks for listening to Around Comics, your source for comic book news, reviews, and opinions. If you'd like to continue the conversation about the Starman Omnibus, you can do so by visiting our forum at aroundcomics.com. Remember to check out our new Book of the Month selection, Charles Burns' Black Hole, available now at instocktrades.com. Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and may not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Any reproduction, rebroadcast, or retransmission without the express written consent of Around Comics is strictly prohibited. All content presented in this program is the sole property of Around Comics, and this has been an Around Comics production, copyright 2008.